for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I don't know if you've, if you've considered this much this week with, every, with everything that's going on, but in, in the Bible, the, the prophetic voices that speak out, if it's Isaiah, if it's Jeremiah, if it's, if it's Micah, if it's Amos, it is always in the midst of political turmoil. Um, it's always in the midst of difficulty that is going on, difficulty that, that I know that we feel like as Americans we could be going through right now, but really compares in no way, form, or fashion to Babylonian exile and some of the issues that were going on in this period of time. I've, I've thought, especially this morning, that maybe right now is not as much of a time for preachers as it is for prophets and prophetic voices that we really need to hear to speak into these cultural moments that we are facing right now. Uh, some very difficult things, no doubt, but also a very good time and a very important time to talk about vision, to talk about direction, to understand that the rules of society and the things that are going on around us are not the actual kingdom that we are living into, but that what we are living into is something that is much greater. So as there has been a lot of stress and anxiety and fear and wonder and anger and hatred and all of these emotions, and I'm very far from, from being as close to God as I could be, but I have to say that I've been through much of the week unscathed by a lot of what's been going on. Of course, uh, emotions and a, and, a, and, a, and a heart that goes out for people who have been, who have been hurt, issues that have gone, gone on in our country, but, but there is a focus for me that is greater than what is going on in the United States right now, um, as important as all of this is. So I don't make these things lightly, uh, take these things lightly, because I know for, for so many people, there is just there's just anger. There's there's confusion. There are all these things. People wonder what's going to happen, you know, after January the twentieth. Did, did you know that the church is supposed to talk about these things? That we're not supposed to ignore it. We're supposed to confront these things. So we need to come together as the people of God because you know this country is having a very difficult time unifying. But but we're not we're not representative of everybody else out there. Something else is going on in here, and especially as we talk about vision and the importance of direction for our church, which is what we're going to start talking about today and talk about over the course of the next six weeks. We're going to be talking about some very important, very fundamental things that are going to transform this region. I I believe with all my heart that I was not brought here simply to fulfill a role of, of being a paid clergy person. All right, but that God brought us here for, for much greater reasons. It was in the fall of, of 2019 that God began planting a new vision uh, for a new place within me. The, prob- the problem was I didn't have a new place. And I was in Kentucky. I was very happy. 
with, with where I was, but I knew at this point, kicking and screaming, that God was calling us home. And I felt at the time that God was calling me to plant a church in East Tennessee. All right, but I, I hitting the ground and coming to reality, I realized that my family was in no position whatsoever to be able to plant a church. There is so much energy and effort and, and, and issues within a marriage and problems and struggles and money and time and everything else that goes into the process of planting a church. Some of you may know that because you were part of this church whenever it was planted. But we really were, were literally, I felt like, ushered into Tennessee on stretchers, you know, in a place where we were absolutely, I can, if I'm speaking for myself, just absolutely emotionally and physically exhausted. So we were in no place to, to, to plant a church at that time. But it's exciting to see how everything is worked out and God knew what he was doing and had a, had a place and a group of people and a church family planned for us before we could even understand any of this. It's just an absolutely incredible thing. And, and, and now to have the opportunity to share what God has, has been doing in my heart and now at this stage in the heart of the biblical leadership team is we've started to work through some ideas and some thoughts over the last several months. has just been an absolutely incredible thing. So why do we need a vision, you might ask? That may not seem like something that you would talk in, uh, about in church as a, as a topic for a sermon or especially as something that you might spend six weeks talking about. Why do we need a vision so we can know where we are going, and also how we are going to get there. I think that's really, really important. And Sunday after Sunday for, for pastors to speak to their people about a particular topic from the Bible that is nonetheless very, very important for their people, without a real direction of where that body of believers is going, to me is not only irresponsible, but can also be a little bit dangerous. All right, so we need to operate with some form of direction. Vision should never be something that we simply place on a wall or that we talk about in meetings. Vision should be a way of life. Vision should be something that directs every single thing that we do as a body. So many churches and many organizations, if you go into a gym, if you go into a school, if you go into some form of nonprofit, you'll often see a vision statement or a mission statement on the wall. But the question is, does that business, does that nonprofit, does that organization, does that church actually live by the practices and the principles of that vision and of that direction? All right, so our vision is we start to look into the future I want you to hear this, because it's going to require us to think differently. It's going to require us to become uncomfortable. It's going to require us to break with some institutional norms. It's going to place our wants and our needs on the back burner. All right, so I'm going to say that last part again, because it's very difficult for people even church people, it's going to require us to place some of our wants and some of our needs on the back burner for a greater, collective, unified purpose that God is going to unfold for us. 
But at the end of the day, and I want you to see this as a picture of the future, addicts will be restored. The lame will walk. The blind will see. The rich will be brought to their knees. And unbelievers will believe. So this is the direction that we will be going. It, it's unlikely you're, you're going to remember this. I did mention this in our vision night that we had virtually. And some of you are going to remember this is a lot of this today, this introduction. Introductions are not always fun. And my wife really hates them. She, hates, she, she doesn't even like a vision series. And the reason she doesn't like a vision series is because she knows that I live this stuff 24 hours a day. She sees diagrams around the house. I'm constantly talking about the direction that we're going. So for her, it's just me regurgitating what I'm walking around the house talking about. And it's not giving her like the new substance. All right, but for a lot of you, this is very, very fresh. It's been suggested that people need to hear something a minimum of eight times before they really start to remember it and before it really starts to stick. So if we are going to focus, if we are really going to move in a positive direction, the direction that we're talking about, these concepts and these things are, are, are something that we have to talk about a lot. Going back to where I was. In March of 2020, I had the opportunity to come and share with you guys, just filling in. And one thing that I mentioned was that I have a personal mission statement. As an alcoholic, as someone who has struggled with a lot of different things in my life, I have a personal mission statement. And it is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. And this is going to be the mission statement that we go forward with as a body. Now, if you were to ask the senior leadership team, I'm sorry, the biblical leadership team, because we talk about this over and over and over, what is the mission statement? I even asked them, write this down, put this on your mirror, put this somewhere in your car, commit this to memory, to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. So what is our why? What is it that we are going to be about? What is it that is going to be our direction into the future and beyond to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Now, why broken people? All right? Well, everybody's broken, but a lot of people don't recognize that they're broken. They're going to tell you that they are okay. And until God plants that seed within in them to recognize their brokenness and their sinfulness, there's not really much that we can do. But what is it that we mean whenever we say broken all right, we mean a lot of things. We mean, we mean poor. We mean lonely. We mean addicted. We mean selfish. We mean greedy. We mean lost. This breaks all socioeconomic boundaries and classes. This breaks with all races and backgrounds because we all share a common thread outside of God, and that is that we are broken people. So we want to take people from all walks of life and help them understand that life means more and that life can be much better. Doesn't mean it's, it's, it's going to be perfect, but also recognize that we don't say that we're trying to help broken people become converts. 
Or we're simply trying to help broken people become Christians. We are trying to help broken people become devoted disciples or devoted followers of Jesus. A lifelong pursuit of this glorious, amazing journey of following Jesus of Nazareth. So see, this must drive everything that we do. Now, for all of my shortcomings, and as you get to know me a little bit better, you're going to see there are many of them. And for close friends and family, they are going to be able to point out a lot. But one thing that I can tell you is that I am very, very, very focused. All right? I am focused. So whenever I think about everything that we do as a church, well, Matt, we really need to bring in this guest speaker, or we really need to bring in this program, or we really need to do this thing. The first thing I'm going to think about is this. Why do we exist? To help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Does this thing specifically speak to that? Great. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. Because we have one very specific, and we don't want this to be muddy. We don't want this to be confusing. We want you to be able to understand exactly who we are and where we're moving at all times. So we want to create a culture around this idea. Okay, so I'd like to share with you a long-term vision. And what a vision is, it's really a picture of the future. All right, so you have a mission statement. This is why we exist. And then a vision is a future picture of how you actually get there. So how do we seek to accomplish this? What is it that we want to do into the future? And it's right here. The vision is to create environments where the kingdom of God is both visible, people can see it in our lives as individuals, and also collectively, and also contagious. Because whenever people are living out the kingdom of God, I'm not talking about living out a Sunday morning service. I'm not talking about living out what it looks like to be a religious person on social media. When people live out the peace and the harmony and the beauty of the kingdom of God, it is the most contagious thing in this world. It is what directs and pulls in these very people that we're talking about. So if someone's not interested, if someone thinks they're fine the way they are, well, listen, I have no desire and have never had a desire to try to push Jesus on anybody. But when somebody can say, I'm busted up, I'm broken, I've got these issues, and please just don't think about the addict or the homeless person in the gutter. Think about the church person that is really struggling with these things. Again, there is no specific type of person that falls into the category of broken. So why do we exist? Why do we, why do we heat this building? Why do we do the work that we do in the community whenever we hand out hope bags? Why is it that we're talking about having community groups and getting small groups of people together to build deeper relationships? Why does all of this happen? To help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. So what I'm asking and what I'm, what I'm praying for 
is that you learn also to internalize that focus because if you're honest enough and you've been there before, you completely understand what brokenness feels like. Now, I know that some of you have it all put together. You've been in church your entire life. Or maybe you fall into the category where you don't need God. But for many of us, we have hit that rock bottom. We have hit that place where we know that the only hope that we have is within this story that we talked about at Christmas. That gets even better as we approach Easter in April. All right, so why do we exist? To help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. How do we do this and what does the future look like? We must create environments where the kingdom of God, and we've not fully imagined this idea yet. Again, in the summer, we're going to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we are really going to talk about what this kingdom of God looks like. Some of you are going to get very upset because it's not going to fit your Republican views. Some of you are going to get very upset because it's not going to fit your Democrat views. Some of you are going to be very uncomfortable because it's going to pull you out of this church environment that has always made you feel very comfortable and able to look at other people in a judgmental way because they don't have this church environment that you have. It's going to mess up your reality in a serious way. Because you want to know one of the most serious things that I learned after following Jesus for a short period of time? You don't get to keep your stuff. And you don't get to keep your same thoughts. And you rarely get to keep your same politics. And you rarely get to keep all of the things that you have gathered over time and kept it mean so much to you. This is just a little Cliff Notes introduction to what we're talking about when we talk about the reality of the kingdom of God. So why are people interested in the kingdom of God? It's freedom. It's liberation. It's an escape from all of the sin and the darkness that is in this world. And it's an ability to look into that through the lens of grace, which is a lens that maybe some of you have still to this day never looked through. Make the kingdom of God visible. Make the kingdom of God contagious. What does this mean? When people are around us, they should feel and sense our desire to love. All right? They shouldn't see us as polarizing religious people. They should see our desire to love. Our hunger and need to care, to forgive. Our desire to help the vulnerable and the weak. This is what people see whenever they see the kingdom of God realized. There's a great passage that is, that is going to help us illustrate this kingdom concept at least just a little bit. It's in Luke chapter 17. If you, if you guys do want to turn there. Now, one of these verses is really going to end up being a, a theme, all right, for our, our vision. And this is Luke 17, 21. But we're going to look at, look at Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Prior to our passage, a little bit of context, all right, Jesus heals 10 lepers, one of which is a Samaritan or an ethnic minority. All right, not only is this bad, this is really anti-religious. All right, this is as countercultural as anything Jesus, as a Jew, could possibly do. So the Jews, these religious authorities, will then ask 
Jesus, and this, they're challenging Jesus, when God's kingdom is coming. Okay, because this is part of their eschatology. This is part of their end times understanding. They're, they're looking for this Messiah. Okay, so this kingdom of God ideology to the Jews is significant, the way that it is significant to Christians. So they asked Jesus, just out of curiosity, let's, let's see what he's willing to say, because he's obviously done some absolutely incredible things. They're still trying to figure out this far into Luke who this individual is. All right. So the Jewish eschatological view of the coming of the kingdom is a bit different than what Jesus is giving. Their idea of a Messiah is a little bit different than some of the things that Jesus is doing. Luke chapter 17, just two very short verses uh, this morning that I want us to look at. All right. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. The Pharisees, or the religious elite, asked Jesus when God's kingdom was coming. He replied, God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that are easily noticed. Because there are specific signs that they are looking for. Again, there is a Jewish idea or understanding the same way that there is a Christian idea or understanding of what a coming Messiah should look like and should be doing. And Jesus just doesn't quite fit the bill for them. He says, nor will people say, look, here it is. As if it just kind of all of a sudden just shows up like, boom, here it is. Or there it is. Don't you see, and this is what I want us to focus on with our vision, God's kingdom is already among you. All right, so he's saying as they are standing right there right now, he, he's healed people. He has this care and this concern for the vulnerable and the weak. He's taught the Sermon on the Mount at this point where he's talked about how we deal with anger, how we deal with forgiveness, how we are uh, uh, to deal with retaliation against someone that we don't like or don't get along with, things about sexuality, marriage, divorce, all of these kinds of things Jesus has talked about. And he is saying the kingdom is among you. Sometimes this pas passage is translated, and maybe even in the Bible that you have right now, it will say it is within you. All right, the kingdom of God is within you. This is not a very good translation, all right, to say that it is within you. A better translation says the kingdom of God is among you, or as some translations will say, the kingdom of God is in our midst, all right? So this is what Jesus is literally saying to them. When are we going, they're saying, when are we going to recognize or understand the kingdom of God? This, this, this thing that we are all, see, everybody, this is the problem today. Everybody's talking about heaven, one day we're, we're going to go to heaven. And in our series at the first of the year, I'm sorry, when I first started, we talked about eternity is now in session. We didn't take away from the idea of heaven, but we said that heaven is supposed to be brought to earth. So our concern and our care for other people, for us to politically look like different people, for us to turn the other cheek, for us to resist violence, for us to do these things is living out the kingdom of God. So this is literally what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is among you. He's saying the kingdom of God is right here. You're looking at it. Everything that you are searching for is found in me. Now these days this would be considered a very arrogant statement. Oh, you're looking for perfection? Well, look right here. Not the case with Jesus because of everything that they had seen. They were completely dumbfounded. So what is it that we're looking for? The answers to our problems. The difficulty 
in my marriage? Why am I so bad at relationships? As the woman at the well would ask. Why do I struggle with these afflictions? I'm looking in all these places and Jesus says, look to me. Your answers are right here. Everything you need. You see why this is so much bigger than just going to heaven when you die? We can have it here. And this is what we're supposed to show Johnson City. And this is what we are supposed to show more specifically, I am out of breath, more specifically, Boone's Creek. This is what we are supposed to show our region, that this religious facade, that this fake junk that's been going on for so many people, this institutional propping this thing up that is so hypocritical, that's not what we're about. We are living out the kingdom of God. And this is what we're supposed to be doing. The presence of Jesus is wrapped in a specific system of ethics. You're not a Republican. If you're in the kingdom, you're not a Democrat. You're a follower of Jesus. And that determines your politics. It's saturated in a redemptive story for human beings, for you. That you can have real peace in this life. It's conditioned and actualized by a way of life that we want people to see in us every single day. So, how do we help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus? We, us, Believer's Church, create environments through our community Outreach, what will be called our venture teams, through our community groups, through everything that we do in our lives, through our multiplication efforts, we make this kingdom visible to people on social media, in the way we treat our family members that we don't get along with, in the way that we work, in the way that we go to work, we, we, we make this kingdom visible and contagious. But, but this goes deeper. How in the world do you do that? Like, this is all kind of abstract. All right, so how do you do that? Where we're going to spend the majority of this series is on four core values that are going to lead and direct everything we do to get us to where we need to be. So in the next several weeks, we're going to take these and we're going to break them down. I'm just going to mention them today. But we're going to break these down and look at them. And here's what they are. Formation, community, servanthood, and multiplication. All right, so why do we exist? To help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. What is a, a future picture of our region? All right, we want to create environments, safe places, where the kingdom of God is both visible and contagious. But there are core values, there are practices that we are going to implement into everything that we do. So is change around the corner? Yeah, change is around the corner. All right. There are many things that we have at this church that are absolutely wonderful that we don't have to change at all. Maybe tweak a little bit. But there are some other things we got to pay attention as we go into 2021 and look ahead to 2022. Was this useful? Does this really help us create environments where the kingdom of God is visible and contagious? Okay. So we're going to look at these just very briefly. All right. I want to give you an explanation of each of these. Formation means to become a student of Jesus. Is that incredibly small? Hopefully you can see that. Formation is to become uh, students of 
Jesus, all right? Or mathetes, which means disciple or learner, all right? So this is on the individual level, becoming students of Jesus. What does that mean? What do kingdom ethics actually look like? What does it mean to not just be a church attender, but to be formed in the spiritual disciplines as a real disciple of Jesus? You see mission statements all the time. We make disciples. We want to make disciples. Are we really making disciples? The formation, we'll talk about that next week to become students of Jesus. Community, this is another thing right here. that We, we live in such an individualistic society that everything we do is, is me, 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 me. It's very focused on the, in, uh, on the individual. But you have to take into consideration that the Bible was written in a collective culture. Salvation was even viewed as a collective act. So we are going to learn what it means to do things as a body and as a community and get rid of this idea of a completely solely individualized spirituality. You know the main reason that people don't go to church that consider themselves spiritual? Church people. The people that are there. You know, I said one time as a pastor, this, this would be just such a great profession if it wasn't for the people. You know, and, and I was being serious, like, like the conflict that happens, the difficulty that happens. If I asked you guys how many of you had been hurt by the church, you know, at least half of you would probably raise your hand that something's been said or done at some point. You want to know something? You want me to make you a promise? It's going to happen again. All right? Church is full of hypocrites, and I'm one of them. All right, so how do we live in that tension? How do we understand what it fully means to be a unified body? We're going to talk about that. Servanthood, man, skipped by so many churches. To love others like Jesus. And our community involvement that we had, you know, when, when we went through this, and we're still in it, this, this COVID period, one thing that I discussed with the biblical leadership team was, you know what, just because we're not able to meet in person maybe right now, or just because this is going on, that doesn't like exempt us from doing God's work among people outside the church. So we developed Project Neighbor, and we are still uh, either donating, giving, volunteering, and doing things. That's going to continue, and that's what we're going to talk about when we talk about servanthood. And then multiplication is a lot like formation. It has to do with discipleship, but it's increasing and multiplying the Jesus-following movement. And that's what we're going to talk about in week five of week six. So I don't have time to get into all those today, but I did want to mention those so that we can talk about these over the next few weeks. Listen, I am very, very serious whenever I say this. If you didn't fill out that paper, uh, the, the Connect card, to make sure that you're going to be at one of these classes, fill it out. All right. If, this thing, if you're passionate, if you're serious about the future of this church, make sure that you are with us on February the 21st or April the 11th. This is very, very serious stuff. This is not an optional thing if you're going f uh, forward with us. Okay, and just make sure that you drop it off over there as you leave. So the question that leads me to this question is, is, is where do you fit? You know, where do you fit into this? Oh, I like this. I'm really on board. This sounds wonderful. This has been what, what I've been, what, this is what the church is supposed to be. Really? Is it? Or, am, or, or are we off somewhere? Are we missing something? Where is it that you fit within this? You see, that's the question I have for you. And not just for you, but for your, for your family, if we're talking collectively, if we're talking about genera generationally making a difference, that doesn't happen with a pastor. It happens with a group of people, even if that is a small group of people. Keep in mind that Jesus uh, transformed the world with 12 people. 
So the question is, where do you fit? Before moving to Tennessee, I was considering becoming a pastor in the United Methodist uh, denomination. My, my more recent background is, is Wesleyan. I've shared that with you guys. That's where I am theologically. I even shared some, some beliefs and things like that that I would move forward with in our church. I went to a Methodist seminary. So it only made sense that I at least give this an investigation and a look. All right, the problem was with, with the United Methodist denomination is that I, I disagree with the position that they're going, probably going to go forward with with marriage. All right, I'm more of a traditionalist scripturally as it, go, as it goes to uh, uh, marriage. So I began speaking with this pastor. She's a pastor in Evans, Georgia. Her church is called Mosaic Church. Her name's Carolyn Moore, one of the wisest women of God that, that I've ever spoken to and ever talked to. And so I talked to her about this new denomination that's more traditionally Wesleyan, all right, that's going to come out of the United Methodist Church if there, if there does happen to be, you know, unfortunately, if there does happen to be a split. It's called the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Okay, this is before Believer's Church is, is even in the, in the picture. So I'm talking to her on the phone, and I'm listening to her wisdom and all of these things that she's pouring into me, and I'm like, this stuff is great. And I'm asking a lot of questions. We were living at our, at our old house in Kentucky. But I have to be honest. My questions were very me-centered. And they were very much about my future. All right, so the kinds of questions that I were asking was, well, when do you think that this denominational split is going to happen? Um, what, is, what is the pay? You know, that, that, what system would I fall into as far as... Uh, benefits and all these kinds of things and asking all these questions. And she said something to me that I will never, ever forget as long as I lived. It was one of those moments where I was completely, I mean, I, as far as stepping on someone's toes, she completely stepped on my toes, but, but she, she has the authority in my life and, and the, the permission to do that. But this is what she said. She said, Matt, I have to say, the kinds of questions that you're asking sound more like a consumer we're looking for investors. And that like hit me because I have so many times as in, in my short five or six years of pastoring felt that I have had so many consumers among me. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Well, I don't like that. I'm going to leave. I'm going to take off. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. Consumers. And that's what I was doing. I was basically trying to figure out, in a very stressful, to my credit, moment in my life, what's in it for me? And she said, Matt, as we go forward, we're not looking for consumers. We are looking for people for the cause of Christ that are willing to put everything else behind them and go forward with the mission. So the question that I have for you guys as we talk about this this morning, I'm going to give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. As we go forward into 2021, will you be a consumer? What's in it for me? Well, if they don't have a good children's program, I'm out the door. Well, if they don't sing this song, or if they get too contemporary, or if they start to get too traditional, or if they do this, or if they do that, I'm out the door. It's this cafeteria Christianity that we often talk about, in which you go through the line, oh, I like this, oh, but I don't like that. Well, this may be good. I think I'll taste this. No, I tasted that. That's horrible. It's this, it's this consumer 
cafeteria. It's no different than everything else that we do in society. We consume, we consume, and we consume. But at Believer's Church, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care if there's 12 of us. We're looking for investors. We're looking for investors. All right, so there are four types of people that are in the room right now. And there are four types of people that are listening online right now. And listen, right now, it's okay which one of these you are. All right, that's fine. All right, now our, our, our desire and our hope is that this can change, but it's not going to with some people. All right, but there are four people that are in the room right now. First, there are what we would call consumer outsiders. All right, consumer outsiders. And there's nothing wrong with being this. This means that, that you came to visit here today or, or you're listening online for the first time. You may be on board with some of the things that we do. You may not be on board with some of the things that we do. They may fall way out of what you're cool with. You may not even be a believer. You may be completely opposed to, to, to what we teach and what we do. And you were brought here or, or asked to watch online by someone or you just happened to come across this stream. Okay, so we have individuals that fall into the category of consumer outsiders. Then we have individuals that fall into the category of consumer observers. All right, consumer observers. You're here sometimes, but you kind of watch things happen. Okay, maybe at one point you were very invested in the church, but for whatever reason that changed, and, and, and you've not been invested in a long time. Maybe you've never been invested, and for your comfort level, because let's be honest, consuming is comfortable. All right, whenever I watch several episodes of, uh, of, of something on Netflix in a while, consuming is comfortable. All right, but you kind of just sit back and you're like, this is my home church, this is where I go. You're here some, you're not here sometime. All right, consumer observers. The third type is partial participants. And I think this is where, and I know a lot of people are out right now because of, of COVID. Some people do not feel safe being here in person. I completely understand that and respect that. Okay, but we also have people that kind of fall into partial participants. Okay, you may, you may give a little bit. You might serve a little bit. If someone asks you to do something, you're, you're going to do it. Maybe kicking and screaming, but you're going to do it. But, you, but you're not necessarily going to take the initiative on some things. All right, see, so these are individuals that are here, but they're not completely locked in. And then you have people who are investors. People who are investors. People that are all in. Servants. Givers. People that want to grow in community group discipleship. People who want to reach out through our venture teams and love their neighbor. People who want to reach the broken that we're talking about. People seeking to know Jesus more within this corporate body, not just isolated on their own. People that are completely bought in. Now, some of you have already made up your mind that you're going to stay where you are. And, and I have no control over that. And I'm not even trying to control that. So if you're okay as a partial participant, if you're okay as, as, as an outside observer, especially if you're new, you know, and you're just trying to figure things out, if that's where you are and you've made the decision, that's where you're going to stay. 
I'm not trying to change that. But some of you are on the fence. And the Spirit is dealing with some of you. And for those of you that are in that situation right there, what I'm asking you to do is to become an investor in 2021. To turn everything you have over to the mission. Well, I can't miss this. Well, I can't miss that. How is it that whenever you truly become an investor in the kingdom, that your family life gets better? That your finances all of a sudden improve? That God manages to take care of all of the things that you fear that you're going to lose? And see, here's the thing. I'm not talking about something that is just good for Believer's Church. Because just to be completely honest with you, my mind and my focus goes much further than that. I'm talking about something that will transform this region. I'm talking about generational change as a result of a commitment to live within the kingdom of God that involves seeing the very broken people in our world that we're talking about. So you might be asking, and this is what I want to challenge you to pray through, through the next six weeks as we go through this series, because I still feel like you have very little information. All right, this is what an investor or what investing looks like. First, you understand the mission and the vision. This means that you understand it, and I'm not talking about verbatim, word for word, but you understand it in a way where if you had to, you could communicate it to other people. All right, that's what it means. So whenever somebody asks, what's Believer's Church about? You know, what is it that your church cares about? Well, I can tell you this. We want to see broken people. We want to see hurting people. We want to see the struggling people that can admit they're in a struggling place become devoted followers of Jesus. You can articulate that, you know, in your own words. But it doesn't just mean to understand the mission and vision. It means to live the mission and vision. And I can promise you there is a great gulf and a great difference in understanding something and living something. And I think most of you know that. It also means that you invest in the mission and vision. Oh, Matt, don't talk about my money. Don't talk about my time. Don't talk about all these precious commodities that I have that I am unwilling to give up, friend. You cannot have two masters. It is absolutely impossible. Anything that you care about in your life, if it's your kids, if it's your grandkids, if it's sports, if it's your job, if it's a hobby, you make an investment, a real investment in that thing. How in the world is it that the kingdom of God is left out of that equation? But you also recognize, and maybe this is the most important and pulls it all together, 
you recognize that this thing that we're doing, it's not about you. Can I just be completely honest with you and candid? I hate wearing masks. I don't like when I'm singing with a mask on, my, micro, my microphone shoved down my throat. I don't like my glasses fogging up. This why said amen. I don't like certain components. I had somebody at my old church that said, well, I'm not crazy about this. And I'm not, this was before I was pastoring. I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, maybe something needs to be said about this. And this guy, still a friend of mine, John White, you know what he said? He looked at me and he said, you want to know something? It's not about you. Ouch. It's not about you. It doesn't matter what it is, any little thing. If we go forward together, it can never be about us. What I'm calling upon you guys to do, and not something fake and not something temporary, be an investor in 2021. And I expect you to listen to the whole series you know, before you are ready to make that decision. I have no doubt in my mind that what we're going through right now, not only with this vision series, but also with this virus, is a very serious season of pruning in this church. And whereas we would like to say that we are bringing in more and more people and growing and we're fulfilling the American church dream and everything that looks like, that's often not what the kingdom looks like. It looks like bringing together the faithful to say we are going forward united and we are going forward together. I'll close by saying this. Rational, pragmatic, logical mat of 2010 or, or, or 2005 or whenever would have never said this. But I believe in miracles. And I've seen them. And I've read about them. And I've heard people talk about them. And I expect nothing less here. Father, we come to you this morning surrendering our hearts. Uh, God, knowing that this, this really does stir up a lot of emotions, Father, it is a, it is a season of, of pruning. But God, there is not a, a person in here because of the size of our church that I've not had at least an opportunity to talk to on some level of intimacy. And Father, my desire is that we move forward as a body. Father, not believing that we are better than any other church or that we have anything to teach other churches because that's not us. Father, help us to humbly serve you and the mission, Father, that for some reason you put into a not-so-smart guy a year and a half ago in a place he never thought he'd be again. God, vision and mission are not individually owned. They are collectively possessed. 
And God, the beauty of what we're going to see may have very little to do with the spiritual gifts you've given me and more to do with the way that you have empowered this incredible body that just needs to be able to have the courage and the obedience to step forward and say, I do. We ask these things and pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.